From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-soda re-digging into things that we've been watching, reading, and playing recently. I'm Terry. Multi-media experience. Um, I'm Mary Beth, and this week we are talking another incredible prequel, Murder and Mystery and Mayhem, a terrifying home invasion novel, Terry becomes a terrible cult leader, and my boyfriend's back and you're going to be in trouble. Hey now, hey now, my boy, Okay. I don't want to get a suit. <laughs> Real quick, I have to talk about my sleep paralysis experience that I tweeted about. Yes. Because you, between the two parts of it, it's very relevant to you, Terry, but I texted you about it. So mm-hmm. the other night I had my first sleep paralysis experience uh, and it was the worst ever. Um, basically, I... Well, here's my, I'll tell you my perception of it, then I'll tell you Steve's perception of it, which is even funnier. <laughs> oh, so... I was asleep and woke up, I thought, and I saw a giant black spider on my ceiling. And, like, no details. It was like a shadow spider, but Mm -hmm. I knew it was huge. And Mm -hmm. all I could do, I was frozen in bed and saw it crawling across the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, 
And I woke, like, it, it before, before anything happened in terms of it touching me or it getting on me, it didn't. But I, like, I don't know what, I don't, it just snapped out of it. I don't fucking know. I didn't, like, wake up necessarily. But Steve, Steve told me I was snoring so loud and he poked me. And I think because he poked me, the sleep paralysis, like, triggered because he was trying to wake me up. Because I distinctly oh, remember, no. like, turning my head and seeing his eyes open. And I was like, is this just part of the dream? And he was oh, trying to wake no. me up to stop snoring. <laughs> you saved me from my sleep paralysis. I just wanted you to stop snoring. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, like, the, and oh. I didn't know any of that until the morning where I was like, Steve, I had sleep paralysis. He's like... Wait a second. And we put the dot, we connected the mm-hmm. dots. And then he showed me a video Ooh. of me snoring like a goddamn chainsaw. <laughs> he took a video. Like, I was like, oh my God. So yeah, that's my fun story of sleep paralysis and finding out. Well, not finding out. I knew I kind of snored sometimes, but uh, wow. <laughs> Holy shit. I it's can fucking fun. snore. Yeah, it's ba- it was bad. It was bad. I was just like... <laughs> And you know what's fucked? Uh, In my head, while it was it was happening, I was like, is this real or not? It was so fucked. It was the most uncomfortable. Like, to all of you who had that growing up and continue to experience it, fuck. I am so sorry. Like, I always knew it was horrible. terrifying. But it's fucking horrible. Like, mm-hmm. why why do our brains have to do us like that? I just know, right? To, just trying to sleep. Just trying to do the thing good for our bodies. And it's weaponized against us. So... Yeah, like I had never experienced it until like six months ago, and it was the very first time yes. I'd ever experienced it. And that was like, thank God I didn't have spiders in it, but that was absolutely I, terrifying. When I woke up, I was like, I have to tell Terry. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Terry has to know this. He, I mean, he... <laughs> I mean, when, when you woke up, were you able to realize that you were having a dream? When I woke up, like in the morning, I remember. Okay. But I, it was one of those things where, like, I, it was like it all kind of like melded together like dream logic UI so I wasn't mm-hmm. really sure I think I like kind of thought I was dreaming but wasn't quite sure and like I was looking around with my and like we have a vent like oh mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. vent was like a giant black hole and I was like something's mm-hmm. gonna crawl out of it and I had watched yeah. mortuary assistant videos before I went to bed that night too so like I think that probably had something to do with it a little bit so yeah it's a nice little nasty soup because, like, whenever I had a dream about spiders, I would immediately jump up, turn on a light, and be looking for the spiders because I would think it was real. Okay. I did not do that. I do remember waking up and feeling very itchy, though. Just being like, but yeah. That's gnarly. I don't like yeah, that, that for you. sucked shit. But um, what didn't suck shit were some of the movies that I know that we watched this week. Uh-huh. So let's talk about this incredible, another incredible prequel that we watched. I mean, we both saw this movie, like, a while ago, and we have been yeah. champing at the bit to be able to talk about it. Of course, the embargo came up the day that our interview with the director popped on Monday. And if you haven't listened to that, go listen to our incredible discussion with William Brent Bell, the director of Orphan First Kill. Because this movie should not work. It should not be as good as it is. And yet, here we are. A genuine surprise of 2022, I would say. Genuine? I agree. It was one of those movies when I heard it was coming out, I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. It's going to be hot trash. It's going to be hot trash. And like, you know, it's just, 
inevitable. It was like, you're like, Orphan was perfect the way it was. Listen mm-hmm. to our episode where we talk about Orphan. It's incredible. It's a camp masterpiece. It's so mm-hmm. good. How the fuck do you make another one with the same kid, like, who's 25 years old now, et cetera, et cetera? Well, William Brett Bell uh, did it um, with an incredible script written by not William Brett Bell, but regardless, the script is just like, it, it takes what made the first one so good and really understands it. And so does, mm-hmm. um, but so does Bell, because Bell, as we talked about in our episode, is a huge fan of the mm-hmm. of the first movie, which I think is a huge, like, benefit sometimes yeah. of, like, you understand it and what it's supposed to accomplish. The writer was David Cogshall. So his script paired with William Brett Bell's direction. Based on a, a story by the original writers from the original yeah. movie. So... Well, Terry, okay, this is a prequel, but what what happens what happens here with our girl Esther? So, it starts deceptively simple enough where you're with Esther in the Sarin Institute, which is what we see in her Bible at the end of at uh, towards the end of the original Orphan. Yeah, she's a, she escapes. She pretends to be Esther, the missing daughter of rich family in the United States who have been looking for Esther for a very long time. Four years, I think. Four or five years, something like that. Four or five years, yeah. Mm -hmm. So she happens, she she had trolled the web, found someone that looked similar to her, and passes herself off as their long lost daughter. You think you kind of know where the story is going, and then it kind of takes a couple twists and turns. One that had us both cackling in utter delight. And it turns into a movie that is not a repeat of the original, which is what I thought we were going to get with this film. Because what else are we going to get with a creepy kid that gets inserted into a wealthy family, which we've already seen before in the first movie? And it's another one of those where it's like, it's not, it's a prequel in that it takes place before that one. And you can kind of see some things where she might have gotten some of her idiosyncrasies in the first movie but like it doesn't do that thing where we're trying to explain the killer or explain things in the past like it's just it's its own movie that happened to take place before the first one and i appreciated that as someone that doesn't really like prequels i agree and i i I think what was before they're even like this story kind of like changes a little bit with the twists i think the way that this story understands that now you're in on the joke or not the joke Mm -hmm. you're in on the gag it mm-hmm. does more to play with that knowledge and you seeing like what she must have been doing in the first one to like keep up the facade and like yep. that leads to some great moments i think before uh-huh. we even get to that but i love just seeing her trying to figure out how to be a kid how to be a kid which i think is and it lends itself well to isabel Furman playing esther again but as a 25 year old and like that Again, camp decision, but I respect it because they go they go whole hog into it. I mean, the way they do like they the sure full on practical effects with it, and like how everyone had to wear platform boots when shooting. Like, I just think that's fucking incredible. Like, yeah, it's silly, but like fucking dedicated to the bit, went for it, dedicated. And I'm glad that Isabel Furman is in it because she's incredible. So it's so silly and so fun and just like a. It's just, again, it's better than it has any right to be. And I love William Brett Bell for that. So check it out. It's out on Paramount Plus, digital, and in theaters. Limited theaters. It's actually playing at my theater near me. 
Oh, was it really? Which is wild. On Friday, uh, the, ni- uh, the day this episode comes out, the 19th. Yeah, y'all, if you like the first one, you should definitely check it out. And Julia yeah. Stiles is in it. It's great. Oh. <laughs> She's great. She's great. Another movie that we both saw this weekend, Murder, Mayhem, Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem. Mary Beth, what uh, what movie did we watch? Want to play bodies, bodies, bodies? We watched. Oh, only if we get to slap each other first. Like, who plays a game that starts off with beating the shit out of your friends? Like Toxic friend groups who probably shouldn't be friends anymore, but only are friends because they're all rich and bored history. and do a lot of drugs together and have a lot of shared mm-hmm. drama. <laughs> yeah. Uh, boy. Uh, so <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about what, what Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is about? Yeah, don't know. So bodies, bodies, bodies is the latest A twenty four horror whodunit. It is not a slasher. It is a whodunit. Mm-hmm. Everyone, it's very mm-hmm. Agatha Christie and then they were none mm-hmm. vibes. Um, I think that's very important to say off the bat because I think a lot of us thought it was a slasher and it's not. And that's not a bad thing, but just like mm-hmm. just change expectations because you're not going to get what you want. But um. Basically, there's a hurricane coming, it's a big hurricane party, and a bunch of um, 20-somethings are having a hurricane party in one of their dad's house, Pete Davidson's dad's ginormous house in the middle of nowhere. And mm-hmm. Amanda Steinberg, who plays Sophie, and her new girlfriend, B, played by Maria Bakalova, are going to the party, and they surprise everyone by showing up. And... As the storm starts and they all, uh, you kind of start getting all the di- kind of an idea of the dynamics going on here. Um, someone dies and it kind of all goes downhill from there trying to figure out what the fuck is going on and who did mm-hmm. it and why. Yeah, what'd you think? I absolutely love this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, I laughed so much at this movie. I thought it was very funny. I thought the dialogue was very crisp and it moved along. It reminded me, without getting into spoilers, it reminded me a little bit of like... Uh, April Fool's Day. Like, I feel like this isn't a long, long run of sort of like rich people get together in a house and it's funny and shenanigans follow suit. This isn't I'm I'm not saying that that this is exactly like April Fool's Day because it's not. But it gave me that same kind of vibe that we got from that film. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just I I I absolutely loved it. I loved my favorite character was Alice played by Rachel Senate. Senate. Senate from like, Shiva Baby. <gasps> the things that she gets to say at the end toward like in, in specific points, she has like little uh, not monologues, so but good. but short monologues in a way that are just like I just was dying. I just and she's a I, I went in, and she's a podcaster and no one is listening to her <gasps> fucking podcast. <laughs> Podcasting. I, I was, was like, like, I yes. was fucking cackling. So I was like, I was girl, too. you write, you have to have a Google you Calendar and get guests. I was like, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. I was but laughing, I and everyone that's... was kind of laughing in derision in the theater. But I was like, no, you don't understand how much work this is. Well, and I think that's something I really appreciated about this movie was that, like. The trailer obviously plays up that it's making fun of, like, younger at 20-somethings, like, Gen Z kids, but, like, like so a little, a little bit younger than me. But the movie actually is not as, like, poo-pooing the generation as the trailer no. would make you think. There's a lot more empathy in this movie, and a, it's a lot more, like, general toxicity in friend groups and doesn't mm-hmm. actually, like, isn't totally, like, targeting Gen Zers for being like no. vapid, and I well because I think that's what the trailer really try, like, 
focuses on but like you know mm-hmm. a lot of these like why are you gaslighting me but in a lot of those moments in the trailer actually are in moments where the term kind of does make sense though mm-hmm. it's not like they're just saying it to like get a cackle because it's internet lingo like it's actually right. so i think that surprised me quite a bit in in a good way and that these characters aren't va- as vapid as i think no you would people might go in expecting like they actually have some depth and a lot and there's a lot of empathy mm-hmm. that's generated from all of them even though they're all kind of shitty like it doesn't make them total caricatures like they're more realized characters which then right. leads to the one of the problems i had with the movie i really i read i liked it a lot i had a lot of fun i think there were just some character beats that i wish there was more of like i wanted to know more about b like, yeah. there were some moments with her where I was like, what the fuck is going on? And so I think because the movie does such a good job with this kind of establishing empathy with these characters, when it falls flat with some of the, like, backstories and things they introduce, it's disappointing because it just feels like it's leading up to that. And again, I know it's hard in a, in a movie that's very, like, it's a it's an ensemble cast. So, like, you know, you're not really... B is, like, the audience proxy, but, you know, we're seeing everybody's character. So that's, I think, what the, the one big problem I had was I think I wanted more, a little bit more, but I also know doing a little bit more would have complicated things. So it was like yeah. towing that line. And I understand, like, I get it. Well, I think, I think a lot of the mystery comes from the fact that we don't really know these people. And so it yeah. becomes anyone could be a, anyone, it could be anyone's motive, right? Yeah, which and, I liked because I was sitting there just like, mm-hmm. what the, f-? like, it was very much, because you're going to play who is, who is what, what is going on, like, and they introduce obviously so many like red herrings and the script does a really good job of keeping you on your toes about like who what what's the fuck is going on who is doing this and why i was happy to see chase sue wonders in it because she was in um an hbo series that i covered with joe lipset uh called generation that got canceled after one season and she was one of my favorite newfound actors in that so i was really happy to see her in this because yeah she was really good in this movie I really everyone was really good in this movie this ensemble mm-hmm. is incredible like i was telling someone i was like the concept of pete davidson annoys me like him as a per as like a as like a as a, a figure in pop culture phenomenon but like he's actually he's a pretty talented performer like i he's will a talented performer i still think he's sexy he's he's dirtbag sexy like i will admit I that like he definitely is but like well, I thought he it was funny when he's like, nerves. I look like I fuck. I know. I was. And I'm like. So I saw this at 5 p.m. on is... Friday. So there's four people in the theater. I was laughing by myself at uh-huh. these things. Like I was the crazy woman that was like dying laughing <laughs> at Pete Davidson saying, I look like fuck. I look like yeah. fuck. And like a hoodie Which, and Gucci slides and socks. He does. And I'm like. He does so. Though. Like Pete Davidson and himself. Do that's you, what. I think that's like think, his. Is he good at I don't know. Oh, I do you think, think he is. You think so? I do. Okay. I do. I do you do. think he likes going down on women? Like, do you think that's something? Well, I don't know why I'm asking I, you this question, but like, I feel like he does like eating pussy, I, right? Just I do. <laughs> I do think. I do think he's a very sexual being. I mean, let's let's be Which honest. Is so funny because he does not like he to me just does not look like a sexual being. I don't know. He exudes that energy. I mean, Ariana talked about his, you know, big dick energy, which I, I find that, I don't know. I find that term problematic, but like, but yeah, I just, I, I, I think, I think he, he probably gave Kim Kardashian a good nine month rebound. Like, I just, I think. Good for both of them. Like, yeah. you know what? Mostly him. I don't really care about her, but 
Good for him, I guess. I don't know. All of it's toxic and weird, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> new podcast idea. Does he fuck? <laughs> Where we go down pop culture people and... <laughs> Patreon? Anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Lee Pace is also in this movie, speaking of people who fuck. Which, oh. Which, by the way, though, again, contrasting this that the characters, um, if you're looking at, at this as like, oh, Gen Z or Vapid or whatever, he is just as Vapid as them. And he's a he's my age. He's 40 something. Yeah. Like, it's impressive. I think it shows that you can do like a Gen Z targeted. I, I, but they, so the other thing, though, is that I say Gen Z, but like, I don't know. I'm 29. So I'm a I am a millennial. A lot of them were acting also like mullet. Like I don't know, they're they're in yeah, that weird if, gray if, area of like uh-huh. older Gen Zers, younger millennials. So I was watching it, just like I know people like this that are like yeah, younger same. than me, obviously. Like we we all do, but like it's funny. So I'm like, they're not that much younger than me, which no can unpack I mean, that however I want. But like, <laughs> I mean, I ha- I had to actually go look up their ages because like because when people were talking about them being this being a Gen Z movie, I was like, I, th- I know I know that Chase is is young because she was in Generation and she was she's very young in that. But like I was like, some of these people were born mid nineties, I think. Like yeah, I had to look Pete's it up. I was close like, to my Pete Davidson is mm-hmm. close to my age, if not my age. Like we are very mm-hmm. similar in age, and they don't really talk about like college. Like they don't really set a scene for like kind of markers of how old they are other than like they are on their own ish but also just like rich kids so who knows what that you know whatever that means but yeah bodies 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 directed by a woman Mm. written by a woman helena rain uh, directed it and then it's based on a script by uh kristen rupinian i'm so sorry if i said that wrong but women directed and written just a little added cherry on top. Mm-hmm. So check it out, friends. But <laughs> changing the subject to you being a terrible cult leader. Okay, so Devolver Digital is a, is a game publisher, and they have published a bunch of games that I absolutely love. Um, Inscription was that we we talked to the, the, the uh, developer of that. Uh, earlier this year, Death's Door, which was one of my favorite games from last year as well. Like they put out some really good games, and their latest is the Cult or is Cult of the Lamb. And this is a game in which you play a lamb that dies and is saved by some eldritch horror that is trapped by these bishops that have become corrupt and are keeping him, and he wants you to be his little cult leader to build your influence, build the influence of him, and eventually kill the bishops that are keeping him imprisoned. And so it's part sim, where you are building your little cult. You build places for for your cult members to go shit, because otherwise they shit and vomit all over the place, and you have to clean up after them. You'll build a cook pit to cook food for them. You build a stockade when they're getting a little too mouthy, and their loyalty to you has, has dropped, so you toss them in the stockade and re-educate them. Uh, You hold giant uh, rituals that can either be like, I'm going to sacrifice you to get power for myself, or we're going to do a big feast because you all are starving. Um, You have to balance sort of like their devotion to you as well as their, as well as the cleanliness of the cult, of the cult space, as well as their hunger. Um, And you're basically making them forced labor to go 
you know, mine things, cut down things, do timber, all that kind of stuff. So you can build more things and unlock more things. And there's that part of it. And then there's also a rogue light part of it in which you go into dungeons to um, get more cult members, to kill things, to get more bodies that you use to do your rituals with, to eventually kill the, the bishops and unlock, uh, you know, save your demonic eldritch horror god that you are ultimately worshiping. And you can do things in this like uh, murder a cult member and then harvest his meat and serve it to your cultists so that they're now, you know, cannibals. You can do all of these forced labor things where like you're forcing them to work through three days of no rest in order to build up. Like there's just so much that you can do in the, in this game. And it's, it's very funny. It's very lighthearted, has a cute art style, and it's also tackling some big things like organized religion and capitalism within that as well as being about serving up dead cultists to your other cultists it's um very entertaining and i love it yeah i'm so excited okay i was very excited that you brought this because i really want to play this Mm -hmm. and i was just talking about this with steve before i like before recording and so this makes me want to play even more i'm so excited because it's like cute it's a cutesy too like it's got Uh like a cutesy aesthetic to it that is very funny uh, just in terms of what the rest of the game is about. <laughs> yeah. I got my, my roommate hooked on it and she's even oh, further than that. I am because she, she downloaded it on Sunday and she's just been playing it on stop. How are you playing it on PC? I'm playing it on, on PlayStation. On PlayStation. But it's okay. like, it's like on, it's everything. It's everywhere. It's PC, yeah, PlayStation, I'm get it on Xbox, my, my Switch. Mm-hmm. I'm traveling She's playing weekend. it on the Switch. So. Oh, fuck yeah. Okay, cool. That's how I'm going to play it, too. Someone described it as, like, Animal Crossing or Stardew Valley, but evil. And, like, mm-hmm. I am a Stardew Valley slut. So the fact that you could run a cult plus, like, kind <laughs> yeah. of that management sim situation, I'm like, mm-hmm. hello. It's a little bit more simplistic, I would say, than Stardew Valley in terms of, that's, like... That's fair. With, like, the other elements going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not going to take you... Like, it's, this isn't a game that you're going to probably spend 50, 60 hours, you know, building your farm. It's a, probably a 15-hour game, I would say, based on what okay. I've seen so far. But cool. um, it's just, it's a lot of fun, and there's always something to do. And the sim part of it is fun. The roguelite dungeon is simple, but also fun. It's just, it's a good time. I really recommend it. I think it'd be great on the Switch. I kind of wish I had it on the Switch or some portable thing so I could, like, play it in bed before I go to bed. Fuck yeah. Cool. Oh, I'm so switching, excited to play it! I'm really excited to hear what you think of it. But uh, switching gears once more, terrifying home invasion novel. I know what this is, and I'm really excited to hear about it because I can't wait to read it. Um, okay, so this book... Um, actually, Eric LaRocca talked about this book. Did he ever talk about it to us after recording or on the recording? No, he did I, it while recording. Mm-hmm. Okay. He brought it so up. This we is asked the him book. what he was looking forward to That's when he right. mentioned this book. That's right. Okay, cool. So I was lucky enough to read the book. It's called Anybody Home? Question mark by Michael J. Seedlinger. It ju- it's out on this. It came out on the 16th of August, so the day we were recording. This book is a fu- it's fucking curse. Like, Eric was not wrong when he said that reading this book is like reading something that you need to burn in a fire immediately. <laughs> so the book 
is basically a seasoned home invader is writing an instruction manual to new home invaders and instructing them on how to stalk, find, and kill their victims. And it is like, it's a found footage book. It's it's like, mm. it's almost like you're reading the Poughkeepsie tapes. Um, so yes. that's either a ringing endorsement or an absolute fucking do not fucking ever. It, well, it's more like reading <laughs> funny games, but like, you know, okay. Poughkeepsie. Because they've got, it's got a lot of winks and nods to funny games. And some of like the strangers, there's a lot of winks and nods to those those movies. But it's... It's hard to read a lot of because it's so fucking chilling in terms of how he's talking about, like, I, I want to talk to this author so bad to be like, what was that like to yeah. occupy this headspace? It's all written in first person. And he's writing Eesh. it as an expert and passing down this knowledge. And I'm just like, it's, it's fucking cool. And it's terrifying. And it's just like, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Like, that's how, that's how creepy this book is. I'm not totally finished with it, but I'm read a good a good chunk of it, and it. Uh, Eric's right. That book is cur- like it's going to make you <laughs> deeply uncomfortable. That's another book that's making me glad I'm reading horror stuff again. Like going back, like continuing to go back to reading horror because of like what you can accomplish with the written word in horror is just so fucking impressive. Um, and yeah. this is just like a really big testament to that. There's a really cool thing he does in the book where he keeps talking about the camera and in referencing the camera like always make sure like what the camera sees and what you don't as like in referencing almost like what other people are seeing after the fact because a lot of this is also talking about getting famous and like what oh, other okay. people are going to see and how they are going to perceive and talk about your work as mm. an art as an artist aka a fucking murderer i know it's fucked up. <laughs> and so like He's always talking, gonna put us on a watch list. <laughs> yeah, I, I, seriously, it's like all about that, and it's written like talking about like how people are going to talk about you and like what you're gonna they're gonna see and using your instincts and like tapping. It's just so well written, but it's gross. <laughs> like it's not even like I haven't gotten. I mean, unless I've missed something, it's not super graphic necessarily but it doesn't need to be because like what is being described is absolutely horrifying and it is my worst nightmare and like <laughs> like once again never have been happier to live in a in the 15th floor of a high-rise apartment building because <laughs> right. i think that's the only reason i can read that book right now is to know that like <laughs> well it's a little less likely when i'm in an apartment building but it does have me looking over my shoulder a little bit um but yeah so I highly recommend it um, if you're looking for something really creepy to read. Hell yeah. It's out now. So yeah, please, please check it out. And again, it's if you're a found footage person, you should check it out too. Like it's really interesting how it takes the idea of found footage and viewing footage and like watching tapes and puts that in a book form. It's really, really cool. I have... Um, I have two sticky notes that I have, two kinds of sticky notes I'm using. One for like quotes and going back for like other things. And the other part is research for found footage stuff. Cause I'm like, this is academically really <laughs> fascinating. So yes, highly recommend anybody home yeah. question mark. And who's that by? It is by Michael J. Seedlinger. Should, should, should check it out. And then shifting gears once again from like horrifying home invasion novel to horror comedy from the 80s, which horror comedy did we experience this week? Well, it's time to wake up and smell the coffee, Muffy. We are talking Night of the Creeps, which is, I had to write that line down because that line just cracked me up. This movie about parasitic 
parasites from space that turn people into zombies. And you can see direct uh, lineage from this to Slither, I would say. Uh-huh. Agreed. <laughs> but I, I'm more curious because I've seen this. This is my second, second or third time watching this film, but I know this was your first. So I want to know, what did you think of this one, Mary Beth? I was not <laughs> expecting it to be so technically cool looking with like the zombies specifically. But I also was very, I loved it. It was creepier than I thought. I, again, I always go to the horror comedy as expecting more comedy than horror. So I'm always very like pleasantly surprised when I'm wrong about that assumption. I should probably stop mm. thinking that, but like, here we are. But the beginning had me rolling because once again, for the second week in a row, we have second a movie week. starting off like in space. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, what is this? Ha- like, what is happening? Rejects then- from Star Wars running down hallways, shooting lasers. <laughs> It's fun. And Tom Adkins is really good in this movie. Thrill me. So Thrill me. Good. I just, I think that there's like some really clever moments in this, especially because I get really, I, I am not a huge fan of like sorority, like sorority college massacre movies. Like they're not, they like, especially in the 80s, they had that formula. But like this mm-hmm. movie, I think has charmed me enough to not be um annoyed with that as much i think it plays with those expectations really well yeah and makes fun of it a lot and also the slugs and the and the like the gore and the effects and stuff i think on top of that i think it was just like Mwah. i loved how it it started in space and then it immediately it starts in 1959 and it goes into black and white i love that we have this colorful space battle happening and then it's black and white 1950s as we sort of like are making fun of that sort of like b-movie from the 50s with like there is a criminal on the on the loot on the loose criminally insane all points billetin he's escaped from blah 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 he has an axe like we're seeing like urban legends from like you know that kind of time period that you would hear about lover's lane and uh some insane person with an axe like it's just it's making fun of that while adding like a a science fiction visage to it and then we cut to 1980s i just i think that this movie is a lot of fun i think it's queer i'm going to go out on a limb and say that this movie is queer because tell me more about it the main two characters are chris and JC and JC is sort of like the best friend to Chris and is like talking about how he just wants Chris to be happy and just wants Chris to like find love and all that kind of stuff. And there's like this little, little exchange between the two of them. That's a little like playful. I, I You could read it one of two ways, like straight guys that are sort of like, Oh, you want to fuck me? Like just kind of joking around that kind of stuff. But there's a there's a little bit of truth to it. And there's a moment later on where JC unfortunately dies and he leaves a message to Chris. And the last bit of the message is I love you. And I was like, "Ooh, I think there is some unrequited love going on here there's with this definitely. character." Definitely. Well, do they do they explain why he's on he's using the crutches? Mm-hmm. I think he said something so about says, an accident at one point. Okay, because I was going to say, like, we have a disabled character mm-hmm. in a horror movie, and it's not, like, a total joke, which no. I love. Because, again, like, we don't, it's very rare for us to see that even today. So, like, having a character who was disabled, like, visibly, physically disabled was kind of cool. And I, I now that I think about it, he's got, like, the, the nice wingman friend slash axe, mm-hmm. like, actually in love with the friend vibes. Mm-hmm. And I, I dig that. He's also, I think, I think the actor that plays JC is a little cutie. Like he's, he is a little cutie. 
And it's a shame that he wasn't in a whole lot of movies. Like he he's been in a number of things, but like not a whole lot. And I'm I'm like, what happened to you, dude? Because he was my, he was my favorite part of this movie. To be yeah, honest, yeah, I was gonna say he was like I think he was the least cheesy, like a little bit more authentic. Like, not cheesy, but you know, like he felt like the most authentic performance besides Tom mm-hmm. Atkins's character. Thrill I will me. say. When Tom Atkins is sitting there, like, telling the murder story, and he goes, I'm sorry, why are you confessing this murder to me? I was... <laughs> and then it cuts to the fucking corpse coming out from underneath the floorboards. Uh-huh. I'm like, this movie is everything to me. I love that it mashes up so many different things, too. Like, like his character is complete noir. Like, he is a noir, noir <laughs> detective. Like, he's slamming back his bourbon you know he like is saying he just i I love that he keeps answering the phone thrill me and like everything about him is like just entertain me just thrill me and he just he's he's it's a noir detective mashed up with a zombie movie mashed up with a science fiction movie mashed up with a horror comedy and a sorority like there's so much going on here that uh I just, I love it. I love it. And Dick it. Miller. Random Dick Miller sighting. Yeah. I also just love, like, whenever, like, the little slugs are just, like, scooching away. I just, like, mm-hmm. think it's so funny. Like, just that adds comedy to me a little too, bit. Like a, bit like, a really good visual gag. Because, like, they do. The effects look really good. But it's just funny. Mm-hmm. I just, I think it's just me loving it when people look away and the little buggies are, like, <laughs> like and they, like, you know, it just... <laughs> Something about that in movies tickles my brain in a way that it's like, aha, yes, I like when that happens. So, very good movie. To, and I cannot wait to rewatch Slither to be like, Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme. <laughs> also, I have to give a shout out because TikTok has ruined me because there is a moment here where the song Put Your Head on My Shoulder comes on. And I was like expecting a transition as in TikTok. I don't know if you've ever seen those TikToks, but like it's it's very popular on gay TikTok where like they'll be put your head on my and then it, like the light changes <gasps> and it's like nighttime was... and it's someone is shirtless sitting there like trying to be all sexy. Yeah. I was I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I was also just like, oh well, that's what the actual song is, not the TikTok uh-huh. remix of like people being scary and creepy. <laughs> uh-huh. And sexy at the same time. It's yeah. <laughs> But the real horror of this movie, though, is those fucking dorm rooms. That dorm room that 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 <laughs> Chris and JC that's like literally like two futons and a desk and like a little galley hallway in between. Like that is literally where they're sleeping. I was like, wow. What was your a- what was your college dorm situation like, though? Oh my god, my college dorm situation was I, I I was in a college dorm that had not been re refurbished since probably the sixties, and um, we had like these. I'm pretty sure made on campus bunk beds that were like uns that were not sturdy. And my roommate, I remember my my funniest college college situation is me is me having a roommate that had a girlfriend, and all of a sudden she started spending the night. He was in the top bunk, I was in the bottom bunk, and she started sleeping up there. And I woke up at three in the morning to the entire fucking bed shaking, and her going. <sighs> At three in the fucking morning as the entire bed is shaking and you're like what do i do i really wanted to get up and go earthquake and shout and go running out you know but like i was just like what do i do in this because this is awkward yeah i was put into the jock dorm and i don't know if you can see me but i am not a fucking jock college is I just, I never understood what they were like, yeah, like, just put a bunch of 18-year-old, 18 to 20-year-olds in, like, a giant building in rooms together and, like, see what happens. I'm like, 
why are we continuing this fuck social experiment? Like, we don't... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I lived in a dorm that was... Okay, I lived in a dorm that after a hurricane, because I went to school in the water in Maryland, and there was a really bad hurricane, and it exacerbated the black mold situation so badly in my dorm and in a couple others, we had to evacuate the dorms, and they oh, moved no. us onto a fucking boat for two months. Have I ever told you this story? No. A fucking boat? Oh my god. No. So so TLDR, everyone looks this up. St. Mary's College of Maryland cruise ship. Like I was interviewed on NPR about this. Like they What? Oh yeah, no, they did. So my my first semester of college. Like I it was just my first semester of college. And they found the black mold and they were like, we can't have students living here. Like this is a health hazard. So we have to evacuate three buildings worth of people and they're all undergrad dorms. So we have to evacuate them and figure out a way to put, to do it to do. So they, at first they put us in a hotel that, and they like shuffled and they shuttled us back and forth. Pertinent to the note that my college was in the middle of fucking nowhere. So the closest hotel was 30 minutes away and I didn't have a car. So I had to get oh, bussed back and no. forth. And then they're like, Oh, the, actually the best idea is a cruise ship. So they brought an old cruise ship to because we lived in the so we lived in the water, so there's a do- there's a dock. They bought this old cruise ship to dock, and I lived in a cruise ship for a month and a half, and learned what how to fuck? smuggle alcohol in my backpack because they had cops, uh, cops, campus police randomly search you, and like my friends like figured out ways to hide drugs and cigarette like cigarette cartons, but they would like open your cigarette cartons and take all your cigarettes out, like they would like oh. search you. It sucked. It was the, and like when I, the rooms were tiny and the showers, yeah. fl- it was terrible. It was the worst. But yeah, I lived on a cruise ship for a month. Um, my first semester of college. Wild. Wild. Anyway, uh, what are we ship. watching next week? Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of cruise ships, we are talking about how Wolfman has Nards, aka the Monster Squad, a movie I grew up watching as a kid. I remember watching once a few years ago and being scandalized that this movie made for kids had um, a number of um, homophobic slurs in it at the beginning. Um, But I am excited to revisit this one and see if I can get past that (laughs) because I couldn't when I watched it before. And I've never seen it. So I'm... I, I, uh, pardon me, correction. I've seen part of it um, at a dive bar. (laughs) In DC before the <laughs> pandemic, because it was projected onto the wall. So, oh yeah, you know, a very valid way <laughs> to watch this movie. But yes, I'm very excited to actually watch it. Yes, uh, and who are we talking to on Monday, Mary Beth? Talking about excited. <laughs> this is a director I've loved for a very long time, and I'm very excited for chatting with him. We are talking with the writer director Perry Blackshear. Um, he directed They Look Like People and The Siren, and his latest film uh, is When I Consume You, which is devastating. It's so good. And it is out as of today, I believe. Correct. Yes, it is out as of today. Um, and we are talking about Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. That's what I love about this podcast is that you'll talk about super serious stuff and then 
you'll talk about Disney cartoon. That is also really kind of fucked. Fucked. Um, but so listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch a film that we watched, read a book that we read, or played a game that we played and have thoughts? Do you have comedy horror? College Comedy stories? horror. Horror. Com- <laughs> horror comedy. Horror comedy. Give me Ooh. some horror comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Little humor with my porn. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Um, you can send us an email at skirtfillypodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. <laughs> I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And please make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Podcast. <laughs> and please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And also, we are on YouTube right now. Um, I'm in the process of uploading some of our old episodes up there because the integration wasn't working, but now it is. So if you want to listen, there's no video. But if you want to listen to some of our old stuff, it, you can now listen to some of them on YouTube. The tubes. Thank you, Derek Power, for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>